check out the attitude. Someone's gonna make a grand entrance. Ah! So, Joey, um, welcome to the show. Um, I just wanted to begin by asking, um, because we were speaking to our previous guest about food and weird foods he's eaten. What's the weirdest food that you've kind of eaten or come across in America? In America? Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, if you've see. got something else globally, I'd love to hear about that, too. <laughs> well, I, my, uh, you know, I have a Japan food story. Ooh. Um, when Ooh, yeah. I was uh, in high school, I went... Uh, did a student exchange in Japan, and my last night there, uh, my host father didn't speak English uh, really much at all. But he took me out to a like a bar where they serve like small dishes, um, uh, and um, he throughout the evening was getting more and more drunk and thought it was funnier and funnier to just order things and then have me <laughs> eat it and then tell me what it was. That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> my and gaijin so the, food tester <laughs> <laughs> and yeah th- th- yeah i have a lot of allergies but he was aware uh, of that okay. so um you know it was a lot of just the sort of stuff that like might make people squirm about like you know innards and things like that yeah um but the thing that really surprised me the most and who knows if this is true or not because he was pretty drunk at this point but uh, <laughs> i ate something and he he told me it was it was horse and i was like oh and then they were like in between each of the slices of meat, there was like, uh, I didn't know what it was, something hard that I was just pulling off. And he, yeah. he said, no, eat that. You eat that. <laughs> so I started eating it and it was just really hard and crunchy. And I was like, what is this? And he said, it's the bone. And so, <laughs> yeah. Um, You've eaten horse burns. Is your- I have, possibly. <laughs> I was. That's what I was told, you know? <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Do you um, um, then start galloping? Like, was that like some sort of like, you know how I think it started like, as a truck, Cleon, and then it built up from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know how things that look like penises are aphrodisiacs. Like, mm, yeah. mm, eating horse meat just give you that vitality, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has so the expression, I, I pulled yeah. us home on a cart afterwards. He knew it sounds after his drinking bender. <laughs> This has the expression, uh, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. Has that changed in context? Oh, yeah. Do you pick I could a different eat a animal? small skewer at a yeah. bar with, <laughs> with a drunken Japanese man. I like it. That, that's a good story. That's I thought you were awesome. sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that gives me an idea. All right, uh, Cleon, do you want to introduce us um, and who is our special guest today? Yes, so uh, welcome everyone. We are Asinine Lupin. I'm Cleon and, and Ben. And Ben. And um, we have a very special guest with us today. We have um, artist Joey Weiser. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, it's it's a bit interesting, actually. We've somewhat tangentially mentioned you on the podcast before. Now, mm. the eagle-eared listeners don't don't think that's an expression, but let's just go with it. Um, Their ears episode... are probably good too. <laughs> yeah, they probably them. have freaking crazy ears for the stuff that they get up to. Um, that they'd remember that um, in in the epi- in the first episode, I talk about my Lupin origin story, and 
in that I talk about how, yeah, um, I used to follow someone on Twitter who talked about Lupin in particular part four. And I thought that was really, really cool. I then later on found out that Ben watched it as well. And that's kind of the reason why I watched Lupin. And that kind person... Of that t- it took him a while to listen to me and my advice. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I just needed Joey to talk about it because, yeah, it was Joey. It was you your tweet on credit, yeah. Yeah, part four, which got me into it, which is, you know, somewhat tangentially what le- led us to doing this podcast in the first place. So, yeah, really, really lucky to have you on board to, to talk about it. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's 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 nice to hear because on as you know, as following me on Twitter, that's like half of my teats are just like yelling about things that I think are cool, and I <laughs> mostly think that nobody pays attention to them. But it's nice to hear that at least somebody did and and push them to start a podcast that I enjoy. I, I've I've heard every episode. Wow, thank you. I think this is oh, a fun thanks, show. Man. That's really big to hear. Thank you very much. Especially because, you know, you come from doing Toho Yaro, which is, um, you know, like a much more professional made podcast <laughs> than ours. Mm. And, you know, you guest star on um, the One Piece podcast and stuff as well. So, yeah, really th- thanks for that, Joey. And we're really happy to, you know, um, have you listen and, and, and also be a part of that. Um, I guess, Joey, to start off, we just wanted to talk about you being a comic book artist because part of the reason why me and Ben are friends is because of our mutual love of comic books. Mm-hmm. Even became before anime. friends of a Spider-Man. Is how yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. A, a mutual friend kind of joined us on a chat one day and was like, I think you guys would be friends because you like Spider-Man. And mm. I guess here we are. So, Feels right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Joey, what, what brought you into comics and what brought you into art? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I loved comics. I love my first love uh, of comics were comic strips in the newspaper, Um, you know, Calvin and Hobbes and Peanuts and Bloom County and things. Uh, I just loved reading kind of funny, jokey strips about cartoony characters. And for uh, a long time, uh, when I was a kid, I just sort of like gotten into the idea of making comic strips, too. And I drew my own and um, I thought that that was the kind of thing that I wanted to do. And I also sometime uh, along the way got into comic books. Uh, and uh, when I was a kid, that was mostly like superhero comics. X-Men was especially big uh, in the in the 90s. Just one so point that was my kind of... for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a massive X-Men fan. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay, cool. cool. Um, and yeah, so I was a big X-Men reader, but it didn't seem like the kind of comics like I would try to draw X-Men and they would look way worse than they looked right. in the you know comics um but I could kind of draw like a convincing Garfield or something you know <laughs> and yeah. so um I I was just like okay that's not really the kind of comics I make and then I eventually discovered independent comics uh just comics made outside of the superhero system and I found stuff like Bone and yeah. The Tick and things that uh, were really exciting because it was kind of these two worlds of like comic strip uh, sensibilities, but long stories like mm. a comic book. And uh, and then eventually manga uh, kind of came from that too. And, um, and that is what showed me the exact kind of comics that I like to make, which are these kind of fun, uh, lighthearted, uh, with a sense of adventure type comics. Yeah. And um, it's it's so amazing. You mentioned all of those, and those are all things that I felt has been channeled through your work, like oh, through awesome. <laughs> Merman, through Ghost Rock. Both me and me and Ben have read it now as well. Yeah, this and, is a really yeah, fun you, read. You, 
Yeah, you mentioned like Peanuts and Bone, and and we yeah, Bone. I, I I felt a bit of influence there reading through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bone was massive, like for me. That was basically like, okay, this is exactly the kind of comics that I want to make. Like Jeff Smith is a big uh, cartoon hero of mine, hmm. and uh, yeah, I I, uh, I love Bone a whole lot for sure. And I think you can see that in my work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And. And Joey, did you start um, publishing things professionally, you know, sort of from the get-go or were you just doing things sort of on the side until you got published, say, by, you know, Oni Press and even some of the other volumes? I've actually got um, one of your short stories here in the light volume. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah which was really Yeah, that's some of my funny. earliest yeah, yeah. published work. Um, yeah, I, I went to an art school in Savannah, uh, the Savannah College of Art and Design, and while I was there, I got into making mini comics and zines, like these handmade uh, oh, cool. comics that you can just print out and bind yourself and take them to comic shows and hand them out or sell them or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and through that, I, I got um, involved with publishing short stories and anthologies that other people would put together. Um, and Flight came from posting online. Flight used to have a forum message board um, where I would just share work because I just was looking for any outlet and the flight forums were like a cool place where people weren't tearing each other apart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, um, and the cool thing about that is that the, um, the editor, the guy who created uh flight Kazuki Buishi, um, would, was active in the forums too. And, and he just saw my work and invited me to, oh, wow. to that. Um, and then there, and then I found out there was this sort of the way that flight worked is it had a secret locked part of the forum, uh, <laughs> that other people couldn't see. And then once you were invited, you, you had access to that locked part and then wow. you could pitch stories and everybody who was involved with flight would sort of give each other feedback and collaborate in that way. Uh, which sometimes was overwhelming having like, <laughs> you know, 30 different yeah. people giving you 15 different opinions or whatever, but like. Um, sometimes it was really amazing uh, to mm. be like, I'm, I've got this idea, but I don't know. And then, you know, and folks would either, you know, mm. tell you how to fix it or, or, or give you suggestions or tell you that it was awesome or whatever. And, um, and then just based on everybody's schedules and stuff, usually, I don't know how many, there's a ton of people in those books, like maybe 30 people per volume or something oh, like that. It's, yeah, it's So many names. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so it's just was sort of based on who was available at what time, because a lot of those people, a lot of those contributors are animators and people that work for like DreamWorks and oh, wow. Sky and, and Pixar and stuff. Um, and so it was like, somebody would be in between movies and they'd have, uh, you know, six weeks to make a comic. And so they'd <laughs> put, put <laughs> yeah. one together. But me, I was just right out of college and I didn't have, I was working part-time in a magic store. I wasn't really <laughs> doing it's anything. Incredible. <laughs> Whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, not really doing much in the way of tricks myself, but feeding the rabbits and stuff. Um, Wait, hang on. A magic store that sold rabbits for magic acts. They had rabbits in there to like give the the feel of like someone might pull this out of her hat, but so like, mostly what he was selling was the rabbits like, were just a show for people buying props for magic shows. Yes, incredible. Exactly. What? Um, it's all smoke really and mirrors. Nothing's real, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I worked there until it uh, closed because 
not that many people need to buy magic supplies, unfortunately. But um, unfortunately, yeah. So I yeah. So but yeah, I was just working part time and and uh, and drawing comics on my own. So I had a pretty solid run of in volumes three through five of having stories in flight, which was cool. And that was the first time I got to uh, publish my work in color, uh, which was fun. When, when I was publishing it myself uh, in those zines and stuff, I was always just doing black and white comics because it was a lot more affordable. Yeah, One of the well. things that I was mentioning to Ben actually was how much, yeah, I, I love your coloring, man. Mm. Like, especially oh, like, even when you look at Ghost Hog, like your use of teal and then your use of warm colors um, later in the story. But even going back to Merman, the palette on that is absolutely beautiful. Um, oh, thank you. And, and Yeah, I like about- bright colors. Uh, I like, you know, stuff that's really bright and fun. Mm. Um it kind of helps sometimes that uh, when it's printed, the paper kind of sucks back the color a little bit. So it's not quite as yeah. like intense as if you're mm. looking at like uh, it online. Uh, yeah. But I like it <laughs> when it's online too. And yeah. it's basically glowing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love those bright fun colors. And speaking of which now um, listeners, you know, who, who know about comics might know about the Eisners and, you were nominated for an Eisner, so again, we really thank you for being on our humble podcast. Yeah, that's really exciting. I've um, only ever had a Pilsner, I've never had an Eisner before. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> yummy, multi. Um, so, Joey, what? When did Merman come about after your work in Flight? Yeah, so I had um, been doing. I, I had actually done a couple graphic novels before that um, that were published by a smaller publisher, Ad House Books. Uh, one called The Right Home and one called Caveman in Space that are um, black and white uh, indie books. And um, Caveman in Space was a tough one to get published because um, it was right after there was kind of an economic crisis in the U.S. And uh, there wasn't a lot of money floating around for that kind of stuff. And so I was shopping it around and I was getting a lot of people saying like, this looks cool, but we can't publish it right now. So I ended up like funding it through a Kickstarter-like oh, cool. uh, mm. fundraiser. Um, not actually through Kickstarter. I just did it myself. But yep. like, um, and, you know, and then AdHouse kindly like distributed it as long as he was basically like, if you'll pay for the printing, we'll like send it out to comic shops and stuff. And that was cool. But like that whole process of pitching and pitching and getting rejected over and over again was kind of war on me. (laughs) And so after that, I was like, I'm going to just make a comic and not worry about who's publishing it and just do something that seems fun and cool. And I just, um, the idea of Merman kind of comes from my love of the creature from the black lagoon, uh, (laughs) classic uh, movie monsters. And uh, I originally serialized it as like a five issue mini comic series that became the first Merman book. And I like sent that out to subscribers and I sold it at shows and sent it out for reviews and stuff. And along the way, it um, only press found out about it and we were talking about possibly publishing it. Um, but it wasn't until I sent them color samples because that again, I was doing it black and white because uh, I was printing uh. it myself. And once they saw the color samples, they were like, yeah this is something we want to publish. And it's like, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. And they were like, tell us, you know, and along the way I was kind of developing a whole bigger story and I pitched them the idea that it would be five books, uh, thinking that that would just be off in the distant future. And then, you know, I just keep working on it and keep plugging away. Uh, inevitably I ended up working on book five and being like, Oh, 
dang, this is going to be over soon. <laughs> and I had to, I had to figure <laughs> I out if I wanted idea. to do more Merman or do something else. And yeah. I wasn't like I was sick of Merman or anything, but I was just like, I want to try doing something else. And I was kind of into the idea of like Ghost Hog is just like one story in the whole book. You don't have to read multiple volumes to get yes. the story. And uh, I wanted to kind of return to that uh, after doing a series for a while. So uh that's that's kind of how i transitioned from merman to the ghost hog book and, and for listeners definitely check out ghost hog and it's available both digitally and in print yeah joey yeah it is mm-hmm. perfect uh, um, yeah i know it's on comiXology and kindle and a few different uh mm. um digital platforms so you should check that out and Can I ask a hardcover what... and a softcover whichever you <laughs> prefer yeah. your flavor can i ask uh, what the inspiration for ghost hog was like why did sure. you pick ghost hog as a character yeah ghost hog so ghost hog is about the ghost of a young boar um kind of grappling with wanting to get revenge against the hunter mm. that took her life and and meeting other kind of fantasy creatures around the mountain where she where she's haunting and um you know that was it just started as a doodle in my sketchbook uh <laughs> i just drew this kind of like a ghosty pig character and I was like this seems cool but uh, that was back when I was still working on Merman so I just kind of set it aside and I think uh, she comes from like this idea that I like I, I'm not I love like creatures and monsters and stuff but I don't actually like horror movies I don't actually like being scared yep. <laughs> yeah yeah me too I can relate <laughs> <laughs> so I love stuff like kind of the biggest thing that I could point to as a uh, inspiration is that I'm super into Shigeru Mizuki's work uh Gegege no Kitaro um yes. which is a, a manga about yokai you know Japanese spirits and um those are just really fun stories about this like yokai kid who kind of gets in between disputes between humans and and yokai and Mm -hmm. and it's a sometimes it's kind of spooky and things don't end up well for the humans sometimes it's like funny and there's like a yokai baseball game or something like that and so it's not like uh edge of your seat uh freaky uh, stories or anything like that but it is like kind of dark and kind of spooky ideas told through a very fun uh medium that's like sort of uh it I, that was kind of my challenge to myself was to keep a similar tone to merman where it was yes. fun and, and adventurous and funny uh but it had maybe a little bit darker themes just because you're dealing with like a character who has died yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and pitching like that, that to a younger audience as well is a really fine line you know mm-hmm. like you want it to be something meaningful but you don't want it to just be gratuitously dark and then mm-hmm. kind of miss your target audience and i think what ghost hog does so well it kind of comes out as a whole story that that explores those things in a very relatable sort of way cool yeah it's great to hear thank you yeah, and also, Gay Gay No Kidaro was another anime that I started watching from you too. So <laughs> that's on my Crunchyroll list. You say it, so you well. watch it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah I, I love it. It's just cool Japanese folk- folklore stuff. Like, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, like, reading the comic, it really felt like you had created your own mythology, but it felt like that mythology had existed for years. Like, I, I felt very familiar with it already, but it was completely new and refreshing. So that was really cool to experience. Uh, that is awesome. Uh, that was the thing that I've actually been playing around with since college with some of my short stories is I was really into this idea of making a story that feel like I've been, I've read so many sh- stories that are like adaptations of old folklore, but I don't actually know 
the old folklore, like going back to like Dragon Ball is yeah, sort of yeah. an adaptation of Journey mm. to the West, right? But when I was first getting into Dragon Ball, I didn't know anything about Journey to the West. And uh, I've seen lots of stuff like that where it, uh, you later learn it's an adaptation of something from another culture that you maybe didn't really know about. And so I've been fascinated with this idea of like, can I make a story that seems like an adaptation of ideas that maybe you're just not familiar with, mm. but... Um, but that's fictional too. (laughs) So, you know, I didn't, I don't, I don't like write out uh, the whole like lore of the world or anything like that, but I do try to kind of keep a little mystery and, and sprinkle in explanations where I feel like it's needed about how things work. Yeah. 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 A reader could believe that, oh yeah, it's just a long held folklore that there are sparkling plum trees and you know hauntings <laughs> from wild boars like you could just believe it cause... and it felt really timeless like it, it could be like an eastern kind of influence a western influence it really yeah, yeah. sat in the middle of that and i really enjoyed that i actually awesome. wrote in my notes because i wanted to write down some of my thoughts and one of the things was the um there's a sort of oni type character you know, mm-hmm. and that just reminded me of like, you know, the red oni from the red oni, blue oni sort of Japanese yeah, kind of right. sort of stuff. Um so yeah, again, there was parts of it that was felt very Western, but then parts that felt very Eastern kind of met the two together, which I feel is like kind of like your Uber there, like, you know, your your um with, with all of your Japanese folklore. Um, yeah, I'm so interested in Japanese stuff and that's kind of just it you know, that's come about sort of organically, but like I I try to also be conscious to not be like appropriating any cultures or anything mm, like that. So yeah. I, it is important to me that it's like fictional and it's a mixture of East and West and, it, and it's not just American and Japanese. There's like also other like cultures and ideas that I, I, I throw in uh, influence from, but that it, I try to, yeah, I try to mix it up enough mm. that it's not just like, uh, you know, a white guy in America trying yeah, to write yeah. his like OMG samurai story or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that topic, Joey, what brings you to anime? You know, we, we heard a little bit about how you got into cartooning and making comics. Um, what brought you into being an anime fan? Yeah. Um, well, you know, we, we briefly mentioned X-Men earlier, right? Um when I was a kid in the kind of mid nineties, um, there was an X-Men artist, uh, Joe Matarera, who yeah. came on the scene and he had a very exciting art style that was kind of very different than anything I'd seen. And in through interviews and stuff, he started really talking a lot about um, Japanese comics and, and anime and stuff. And um, this was at the sort of very beginning of anime um, cracking through and having kind of a boom in the 90s and so this is the first I'd like really heard of that stuff at all um and I just became very interested in it and uh this ties into Lupin actually uh the first anime I ever saw knowing that it was anime was Castle of Cagliostro no way (laughs) wow that's like oh yeah um the first car I drove was an Enzo Ferrari like (laughs) yeah right that's that's how I learned how to drive taste yeah so i you know i was i was actually reflecting on this because i was knowing i was coming on the podcast and i was thinking about it and i and and you know what it was is um i was in sixth grade in like mm, 95 or something like that and uh to give folks a little uh, idea of my age but um and we had this uh assignment where people uh, all in our class every kid had to study a different 
country around the world. And then we had this like, uh, at the end of the unit or whatever, we had this fair that we set up uh, in our classroom and kids from the school would come through and like learn about whatever countries through the poster board mm-hmm. that we'd made, whatever. And, um, you know, I was interested in Japan, but I, d- I didn't know that much about it. But my friend was a little bit more uh, into anime already. And he chose Japan as his country, especially so he could show anime in class. <laughs> but, that kid was um, ahead of his time. Yeah, right. And, but like, also a problem at that time, if you're talking about like 1995, the only anime that was over here really was like, Akira and Ninja Scroll. Yeah, okay. Like, can't show Akira stuff in that school. You can't show in class, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but he, he was like, Castle of Cagliostro is like pretty safe, basically. There's maybe some yeah. guns, uh, but who, you know, it's, it's it's a pretty like... A guy yeah. gets squashed by clock hands. I mean, that's fine. He could just tell teachers it's Japanese Tintin and then probably buy yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I was a Tintin reader uh, as a kid too, actually, before superheroes even. But... um um yeah so he had that just playing on a tv uh during our thing and Incredible. i was just, like transfixed you know i was yeah. just like this is awesome and <laughs> uh and it was just like cooler than anything i'd ever seen animated really uh you know probably the only thing that would rival it that i had seen up that point were like disney movies or yeah. something um and from then then i uh then i you know went into renting anything I could find and then I watched those other things like Kira and Chimuyo and whatever that was available at the time um and uh I guess we'll just talking about Lupin in general um uh like there wasn't really a whole lot uh else available at that time um so I hadn't really like seen like I was so used to the experience at that time was I would see a lot of OVAs that would just be like an adaptation of three manga chapters of a series I'd never heard of. And you were just kind of used to that just being like, well, I don't know what this is, but it looks cool. And so I never really like investigated loop on that much. I just was like, Oh, it's this cool thing. Um, Cassie Caliostra is a cool movie. Um, And then a a few years later, I was into like uh, VHS fan subs, uh, people subtitling it themselves and trading or selling uh, and I was mostly into Dragon Ball Z. That was kind of my main thing that I was collecting. Um, but at some point, uh, a seller, I was like checking out the other stuff that they had. And they had a bunch of Lupin movies. Cool. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I like this. Uh, and so I got a handful of them, maybe like three or four movies. And I don't even like super remember. I, I know Dead or Alive was one of them. Um there was one that was like Goemon focus where he cuts a jet in half. <laughs> I don't remember oh, what movie that God. is. Some Fast and the Furious <laughs> level shit right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and they were like cool, but they weren't like Castle of Cagliostro, you know, that they, yeah, they, yeah. they were different and they weren't necessarily all as good. Um, and you I ate even caviar friend... before shrimp, Joey. That's your problem. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah. I, you know, yeah, it's a problem in perspective and, and, and not uh, knowing as much about the franchise and stuff. Uh, and I had a friend who even like had been more raised on this stuff uh, in, in college who she was like, yeah, that's the problem is everybody sees Castle of Cagliostra first and then nothing else like really measures up. And I was like, oh, okay, well, and then I kind of had that idea for a while. I was just mm. like, well, you know, nothing else is as good. Um, but then uh, progressing in my like, <laughs> 
uh, evolution of fandom, I was then at this point getting into buying uh, these DVDs from Hong Kong, these like bootleg, really terribly subtitled mm-hmm. uh, versions of like One Piece and uh, Shaman oh. King and stuff. And um, I found somebody who was selling uh, a set of the entire first season, the Green Jacket series of Lupin. And I was like, yeah. I'm curious about this. I, you know, this looks more like the thing that I like. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe at that point I was a little more educated and was like, okay, now I know there's like multiple series and whatever, yeah, okay. whatever. And so I was like, let's, let's do this. And it was a real like eye opener because it, that series is so wild, you know, it, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. like goes in a lot of like crazy places. And it's so like, like weird in especially at the beginning it's like a lot more experimental and and the animation's a little rough like it doesn't always like look super great but it like is very energetic and it feels like tied to this kind of like hippie movement or something yeah uh, it feels uh, like you're doing psychedelic absinthe like yeah because <laughs> it's really hard hitting it's intoxicating but part of it is like what is real in this like mm-hmm. especially when you're coming from something like caliostro or the other parts part one is just what it's a bender it hits you with some heavier themes as well uh yeah yeah and then, and then that second half of the season comes in that's like directed by Takahata and, and Miyazaki and you feel it, it shifts, yeah. Yeah. but then it's kind of a little bit closer to Cagliostro. Yeah. And uh, that was exciting to me too. And so I really, really got latched onto that. And, um, and then I kind of continued to see more Lupin stuff here and there, um, like a special or two. And like, you know, I, I dabbled. I've seen a little bit of the Red Jacket series. I haven't seen any of the Pink Jacket series. Uh, I'd like to. It looks interesting. I just haven't yeah. gotten around to it. Um, and then, um, let's see. And then and then I guess the other thing that really got me back into it later on was uh, the Fujiko Mine series. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, because that came out, and I was like, okay. And I was watching that as it was coming out, and I was like, this is exactly what I want. Like yeah. this is like, it has like, in it, in ways it feels like the original series and in ways, sometimes it even has a bit of that Cagliostro feel, but it also feels like it's like pushing forward in a really interesting way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's its own like unique thing uh, that can be separate from the rest of the franchise, which is interesting. Um, and at that point I was like, yeah, I love this. And then part four and five came out. I was very excited about those. And then those, are just like exceptional uh <laughs> tv anime you know absolutely and, yeah yeah so uh you know and so yeah i i'm not like i i'm not like a diehard uh lupon fun fan like like you guys uh are but like <laughs> i like it whenever i can get yeah. around to seeing it uh yeah. if i can find the good stuff it can be occasionally frustrating that some stuff you know it's like oh cool there's like a crossover with detective conan i like that and then and then it's like, man, eh, this is okay, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, but then when it hits and it's really good, it's like the best. Yeah. Would Wait. You... Oh, sorry, yeah, Cleon. Yeah, you, you go. Okay. Uh, so having actually put in the hard yards and lived out through the the progress of tracking anime and trying to hunt it down, because I think we were a couple of years behind your curve, so we benefited from CD-ROMs and uh, downloading mm. pirating. Um, that was that was really cool to hear. But would you say through that journey, uh, you would view Lupin as an anime series uh, that is a gift that keeps on giving? 
in that anytime <laughs> you thought you had kind of run out or hit the wall with it, uh, you discovered something new uh, in the series? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I really like about digging into Japanese like media in general is that it's just like decades and decades of material to dig into uh, that I might not be familiar with uh, from a, a, another place, you know? And so that's the benefit of Lupin is it's been around for so long that there's just so much of it. And you can try a little bit here, try a little bit there. And uh, even if something isn't, uh, you know, the best example of, of what it can be, there's like lots of other stuff that you can try. And then mm -hmm. that stuff is really, really excellent. So uh, yeah. The yeah, most that's... esoteric we've talked about has been strange psychokinetic strategy. <laughs> have you mm. seen that? I have. Yeah, I own it. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Joey had actually, um, yeah, tweeted at us and kind of identified that um, the guy who plays uh, Jigen was actually um, one of the main actors who a really important One Piece character was based on, which oh. I was so shocked. I didn't realize like that. That was like, oh, of course. Like you just look at his face and I'm like, of course, this would be so recognizable. Um, but is, is that something that you guys would cover on Toho Yaro actually? Yeah, sure. Uh, we cover anything as long as it's like a live action movie. I mean, we haven't explicitly said like no animated movies. We might do that at some point, but yeah. <clears throat> it just seems like there are enough like uh, podcasts that are covering anime movies that uh, we are kind of filling a different niche yeah. um, of like live action, Japanese film, uh, any decade, any studio. Um, and um that would be a fun one. I think it's come up on the show. You know, a lot of times at the beginning of the show, we'll kind of run down the cast of who's in whatever movie that we're talking about. And uh, that way, a lot of times it'll be like, oh, this person is in this movie. And then it gives me like uh, 30 seconds to be like, that was a cool movie or, or whatever. And so I'm pretty sure that's come up uh, at some point. Um, maybe even when we were talking about Kunie Tanaka, who's the actor that plays Jigen. Um, I love that guy. He's a super great character actor. He's a lot of fun. And, yeah, yeah. And um, and <laughs> he usually plays these kind of like weaselly, uh, <laughs> That's a good way to like, describe it. Kind of loser guys. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, he's a little bit different in that um, in that movie. He's like, yeah, it's strange. He's like a devotee of like the Lupin family or something. Yeah, that right? was strange. He's very uh, loving of Lupin. almost as well, which is... <laughs> Not really something we see um, from Jigen. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting because me and Ben, we don't really have that much experience watching Japanese or Eastern film in general. But mm -hmm. we, we, we loved that movie, as you might have heard from the podcast. Like, what, what are your thoughts on Strange Psychokinetic? It's really cool. Like, I, it's, I, think it's, um, I think you put it well where it's like, it, it, at first glance, when you just see like maybe a movie poster or something, you're like, that doesn't uh -oh. look like Lupin, <laughs> you know, like, what is this? But it has the right like feel, especially when you then contrast yeah. it with the newer movie that oh, I know yeah. you guys didn't like. I, oh, I also, <laughs> I kind of remember coming away from that thinking like, there was like a cool scene with a car. I don't know. But like um, <laughs> that, you know, that one is the opposite where you look yeah. at stills and you're like, they've done it. They've captured Lupin, you know. But then when you watch the movie itself, it's just like not the right feel at all. Just like who um, the hell is Pierre? 
Uh, but that seventies one is is great. It's just really fun and yeah. really weird, and a good example of how uh, a thing that I love about Lupin is that um, there's so many different interpretations that as long as you get kind of the characters right, you yeah. can make them more fantastic, or you can make it more uh, you know ground level realistic or whatever. But uh, it'll feel like the right thing, and and uh, that that movie is a good example of that for yeah. sure. Um, I was going to say, because, um, yeah, I guess I don't know a lot about the history of Japanese cinema. I've seen kind of newer, modern-age movies, and they've never really gelled well with me. Um, I find them much like the Lupin uh, modern one. But that mm. previous one, I found there was quite a master craft in uh, comedic timing and in, in, in props and just having fun with, with that form of cinema. Do you know, I mean, you do a whole podcast about it, but do you know of any movies that you would compare to strange psychokinetic energy if you were kind of chasing that same kind of energy? Mm. Well, the problem is, uh, yes, there are a lot like, um, I, in my opinion, like the kind of like 60s and 70s are uh, my favorite era of Japanese film. Um, and I do tend to like stuff that's more comedic and kind of goofball, but a lot of that stuff isn't brought over in uh, um, commercially yeah, okay. with uh, English translations. Um, and some of that stuff you can find then through like bootlegs and things like that. Um, but even then some of that stuff isn't available because um, a problem is that uh, there's kind of two different lanes that um, the English speaking world has kind of uh, imprinted on what Japanese film is. You have the sort of Kurosawa criterion version of these very like classic samurai films um, and then you have the Takashi Miike freak out weirdo stuff from the like 90s and 2000s where it's like very violent and very it's this kind of same thing as when anime first came over and yeah, it's like okay. supposed to kind of freak your mind how like gross it is and um, the Lupin movie um, falls in a whole world of Japanese cinema that exists of uh, these kind of goofy comedies that, um, you know, that got brought over because of its tie to an anime franchise. Yeah. Um, and so like, this is where I will bring up my favorite franchise ever that uh, isn't available commercially. Uh, but, uh, the truck Yarrow films or the truck guys films that, um, I found through one piece through this connection of, uh, uh, Tanaka that are these trucker comedies uh in set in japan with these very decorated like lavishly decorated trucks with lights and stuff and but it's a very like um kind of uh lowbrow humor uh you know <laughs> yeah and 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 they're very fun uh you can you know if you look out there you can find uh three or four of them with subtitles um and a, a weird thing about them is that the star is a uh, star of the battles without our humanity series these like yakuza series and so he's mostly known as a very hard-boiled tough guy but in these <laughs> he just plays like a dopey dumb trucker guy amazing and uh it's very fun uh yeah bunta Sugawara also has a connection to one piece but um akazuki uh-huh akazuki yeah. uh his 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 uh model um but um Let's see what um, there's a there's a fun movie called Danger Pays uh, that Arrow Video put out um, that is part of the uh, Nikatsu Diamond Guys series. Uh, those movies in general are pretty fun. Um, Nikatsu was a film studio uh, that in the 50s and 60s 
were making these movies called borderless action films where they were trying to kind of like make them feel kind of like Lupin feels where it's like um, an influence from uh, European films and American films uh. and uh, they're kind of high adventure yeah. movies or gangster movies. Uh, a lot of them are gangster movies. High adventure maybe gives the wrong idea, but they're like gangster movies and they often will have uh, a sense of humor to them. Um, and they had these kind of line of actors that they wanted to promote as these kind of like uh, dashing, handsome actors that they called the Diamond Guys. And so <laughs> um, uh, Arrow Video put out two movies that were collections of, I guess, all told it's like six movies that are the Nikatsu Diamond Guys collections. And those are pretty fun and pretty weird. There's one called uh, Murder Unincorporated or something like that. (laughs) Uh, One that's called Tokyo Mighty Guy. That's a fun one. But Danger Pays is especially one that I think Lupin fans would like. It's about uh, uh, different guilds of assassins trying to uh, one-up each other. And there's like mystery and intrigue, but there's also goofy comedy and stuff like that. So that's... That that's one that you should check out. It's, it's it. streaming on Amazon here. I don't know what the restrictions are. In, uh, in we get Australia. nothing in we Australia, nothing. Joey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we get your sloppy leftovers, man. Like it just trickles down to the southern. Okay, end. well, Arrow is a British company, so I don't know if that helps at all. But uh, no. yeah, well, <laughs> I guess, yeah, we're still a colony. I guess we might might mm. get it. <laughs> um, so I guess, Joey, like, you know, go back to Lupin. Why do you think, uh, w- what draws you to that character and why do you think he's worked for so long? Mm, well, Lupin himself is so charismatic uh, that he's one of the uh, kind of character that I see actually in Japanese film a lot where he's kind of does bad things, but he's so charismatic that you he kind of gets away with it mm. uh, a little bit. And, and in the end, maybe has a little bit more heart than you were expecting him to have. Um, and so he has that appeal. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to stop. Do you guys hear a siren uh, on my That's end? That's all right. Oh, okay. good. <laughs> I didn't know how. The One Piece podcast are always very, like, the guy that runs that is very... Oh, really? <laughs> about that stuff we're we're australian um, about it it's all cool yeah we're all well then i'm gonna pick pick back up here um (laughs) what's uh another appealing thing about the lupon series is just the cast like the the side characters besides lupon himself like and it's pretty easy to like pick a favorite for a long time you know i actually it's kind of hard to pick a favorite but but if you're the kind of person who does that like for a long time jigen was my guy i was like oh wow a jigen guy yeah, uh, he, he, you know, he's the only one that I have like a figure of and stuff like that, uh, he, which I'm not a big like figure collector, but I, I like to have a few. But um, he, you know, he he just was so cool, but I also kind of like the grumpy old man quality where yep. uh, he's so put upon uh, all the time. Uh, <laughs> Do you have a lot I, of I like dental problems, Joey? Because we find that in <laughs> He always has a toothache. Like... Just brings it up randomly. <laughs> yeah. He never gets it checked. Yeah, it's all that smoking. It's bad for your teeth. Um, yeah, so it, he is one that I, I, I liked. And then, and then Goemon is one who sort of sneaks up on you maybe a little bit because mm. um, uh, we'll talk about this later, but like that's one of the things I love about Fuma Conspiracy is that we get a focus on Goemon and he doesn't get that a lot. And Then uh, Fujiko is, is so cool because um, most of the time she uh, has a lot of agency and and is uh, a strong character besides just being the like sexy lady or love interest or something like that. Um, a lot of times she's the one who ends up uh, with the upper hand, which is really cool. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't have to describe 
the characters to you and why they're cool. But like that's the thing that I like about the series is 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 the characters and Zenigata, mm-hmm. of course. Um, I just don't want to leave him out. He's he's amazing. He's another one that kind of grows on you. Like at first, yeah. Um, I it really depends like, which era you see him in because he can either be really dumb and goofy, he can be really cruel and mean as an antagonist, or he's you know best friend, uh, nearly a father figure to Lupin. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like that aspect to him where he kind of like uh, <laughs> loves Lupin and loves yes. having the chase, you know. And that's and that grown into like, in the recent series is incredible. Mm, yeah, yeah, that um, yeah. There's those yeah. One of my favorite episodes of the original season is that jail episode where he's in prison and it's a real kind of like examination of their their relationship. And then there's that remake uh version of that oh, episode cool. Cool. in the, one of the recent seasons that i think takes it even further mm-hmm. uh which is really cool yeah i think our, our whole motto on the podcast is that like these characters start off as sort of more rougher outlines in the beginning but in the years you know the last 50 years it, they've refined them into these characters that can really stand the test of time and that can work in virtually any kind of story, as long mm-hmm. as we use the you know algorithm of what these characters are, yeah, it helps that they're that they are kind of simple to the core, and then you can kind of build on top of that. Mm. Um, that's kind of an idea in cartooning um, th- that uh, you know if something is like very simple and cartoony, the reader can kind of graft themselves onto it a little bit easier than if something is very very detailed and tells you every specific thing about it um and i think that lupin is works in that same way where the characters become like iconic because they were built off of such simple archetypes yeah um and then you can really i think the strength in the series i know you guys are like big into this idea that everything does actually connect but i i kind of like I don't know. I feel like it connects when it wants to connect. And it doesn't have to always connect. <laughs> but like, uh, that's the thing that I like about it is that um, you you have these sort of iconic characters that can work any way uh, that an artist or a writer wants them to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's what uh, I feel like I'm going all over the place, but that's the thing that I really love about the end of the Fujiko series, uh, which we won't get into like spoilers or anything, but like, I love that basically the theme of that, as I interpret it as like, you know, screw you. I'm Fujiko. I'm an icon, <laughs> you know, and, I'm iconic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, uh, yeah. You can't graft this stuff onto me. Uh, I'm, I'm a, you know, icon and this is w- what I am, you know? And um, I feel like all the characters have that strength. Mm. I think, you know what, Joey, like, yeah, because we do talk a lot about the continuity of the show on the podcast, but I think the reason why it works is that it's not set in cement. It's there if you want to connect it, but if you're just there for the short ride of the movie or the one-off episode, it works by itself too, you know? It's, It's dynamic in that way, and I think that's what gives it that longevity. Yeah. Um, Perfect. So before we get on to talking about the Fuma conspiracy, I just have a couple of lightning round questions for you. Okay, here we go. To yeah, test your right. Lupin fan knowledge. Yeah, oh, and to test, yeah, yeah. No, get not really fan knowledge, failure. but <laughs> <laughs> just some choices, just to see what kind of Lupin fan you are. So um, what color jacket? Uh, green. Green. Ooh. Ooh, yeah, nice one. Um, Jigen or Goemon? Uh, I think I'm still a Jigen. Yeah. Yeah. 
Bang. Uh, Lupin or Zenigata? Uh, hmm. Hmm. I'm not doing good at the lightning part of this. Uh, that was very <laughs> tough. Uh, you know, I'm going to say Zenigata because I think it's the kind of thing where I... I at first, uh, you love uh, Lupin, and he's easy to love, and Zenigata feels like just a necessary part of the story to have him being chased, but like over time, I've just appreciated him more and more. Would you like to see Zeni win and reform Lupin and have a beer with him after he served his time? Uh, I'd like to see him think that he has. <laughs> you bastard! <laughs> and then Lupin smarts him anyway. He it's the all beer in a and... snow globe. It's all in a snow globe. Zenigata's <laughs> 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 is in a mental hospital looking at <laughs> That's the true ending. That's canon. So sad. I, I actually like that you gave that answer, Joey, because our last guest on the podcast said that too. And maybe it's just that me and Ben, we're still at that at kid level's of being Lupin fans, mm. and maybe once we mature into, you know, adult adult Lupin yeah. fans. Yeah, I feel like Zenigata and Jigen are both the kind of old man answers. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But I like that, you see? Like, you know, the kids go for Lupin, but the, the men go for Jigen or, or Zeni. That's awesome. Um, all right, now this one, probably a bit harder. Rebecca or Fujiko? Oh, I'm sorry. That's not hard at all. Fujiko. Fujiko, uh, ah! Rebecca's cool. I like Rebecca, but you know, maybe in uh, another thirty years, uh, she'll have. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see the, how the permanent her sticking around is. She's only had one <laughs> reappearance so far. Yeah. I like Rebecca a lot, actually. I was kind of surprised by how much I liked her. I, I when she first showed up, I was like, "Okay, uh, that's cute, uh, a, a new token character." But she worked so well. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, even more than uh, Ami. Although I like Ami, um, I, I think that I. If, if if given the choice between those two, I would say Rebecca. Rebecca, yeah. Cool, cool. Um, the Italian Adventure or In France with Part 5? Mm, I think uh, I, Italian. Ah. The way I go. Yeah. yeah I liked, I think... I liked uh, France a lot too. And I liked the way that they were especially experimental mm. in that one. But um, uh, I don't know. The Part 4 just uh, really, really grabbed me. And I feel like that was entirely on point. Uh, whereas part five was kind of all over the place. Uh, yeah, it's a bit ambitious part five, I think. Yeah. Mm. And now leading into what we're going to be talking about, Castle of Cagliostro or the Fuma Conspiracy? Oh, Cagliostro. That's just uh, like oh, wow. okay. imprinted in my heart. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I like that more, more than most like actual movies. You know, well, that's, that. I shouldn't say that. I, I like that mo- more than most movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, okay. yeah. Yeah. Look, I think I think I, I would say the same too. I was just I was just thinking, like, would it be harder for you, given the the Japanese feels to it and the fact that it is set, <laughs> you know, so much more in Japan? I thought it might might have tested you a little bit more than it did. <laughs> no, no, can't get me with that. Um, that that's why maybe I I prefer Fuma to a lot of other Lupin movies, but Caliestra is still you know number one for me. Perfect. Yeah. And it's it's funny you were talking about how like in 1995 you watched Cagliostro and you were like, oh my gosh, like can't believe animation can be like this and, and look like this. It's like, you know, I only watched Cagliostro probably a handful of years ago. So it would be a full like 20 years plus from when you watched it. And mm-hmm. it still made me say that, you mm-hmm. know, I, I watched it That's again awesome. earlier this year with my partner and I was messaging Ben. I'm like, this is every moment of this movie just 
grabs your eyeballs and just yeah. brings you into the TV. Yeah. Like you just can't believe that it was made many decades ago. I know. Yeah. Miyazaki, what a nut. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah. He, Miyazaki, he just what a nut on the DVD cover. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Let's get into Fuma Conspiracy, guys. Uh, so, Joey, how did you come across Fuma Conspiracy? Like, you, you were telling us your journey of collecting movies. At what point did you encounter this one? That was, uh, okay, let's see. In my story, that would have been, like, after part one, but before Fujiko Mine. <laughs> it's kind of in that time yep, period. Okay. Um, Netflix uh, used to be a service where you actually would get DVDs sent oh, to your house. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and at that time it was actually pretty incredible because their selection was nuts. Like it was like, uh, you know, the best place to find any movies. And so I just did a deep dive and that's when I was really getting into Japanese film in general. And I just kind of like loaded up my queue with things that I'd heard of, but never seen before. And uh, I'd heard that the Fuma conspiracy was good. I'd heard it. And I think I put it and several Lupin movies uh, in my queue. And so one day it just kind of was sent to my house and I, you know, I, I watched it and was basically like, yep, <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. And what do you think, like, kind of gets Fuma Conspiracy up into the top part of Lupin movies? Like, what do you think makes it stand above a lot of the other, like, OVAs and things mm. like that? Well, I think that it is intentionally trying to... Uh, bite on Caliester to some extent, yeah. like is trying to kind of like, uh, you know, they this is made like maybe ten years later or something than that, and and, and but they use the green jacket and they use, they especially uh, feature the the Fiat and have like crazy uh, chase scenes and stuff like that, and I think it it and I think the animation itself uh, is is really not like I think it's it's. Um, maybe not as 100% consistent uh, as Cagliostro is. Uh, there's moments where some of the characters would like look a little weird to me. And Fujikura's model a bit strange at times. She's a little bit yeah, off model. Yeah, she's kind of, the kind of big head. Yeah, uh, yeah, really big head. Kind thing. of, yeah, squished body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, which is kind of, yeah, I don't like the character models in general as much in this as I do in Cagliostro, but like, uh, there's a lot of attention to detail that feels like Miyazaki. Um, mm. That's a thing that I really love about Miyazaki, especially his earlier work, is that there's a lot of like characters stumbling or running one way and then running the other when yeah. they realize they're going the wrong way. And, and characters kind of making very naturalistic uh, mistakes in their movement. Um, and there's a lot of that in this. I, I was even like, there's that part where that little like mechanical spider is like, moving around and it gets squished between two yes, shells before yes. it moves on to the next thing. And that's he like completely superfluous. That. Like that doesn't <laughs> need true. to be in there, but yeah. it just makes it more fun to watch. Yeah. Mm. I, I, uh, I noticed like a heap of little, yeah, unnecessary animations that like, if you made that movie today, budget and time would really cut those things out. But there's definitely a lot of really personal touches, really human choices for the characters in the animation. Mm. It was quite amazing. Yeah, definitely. So I, yeah, think, I, I think that in sort of general is what makes it stand out. I think the the focus on the the Eastern theming with the uh, with the focus on Goemon is is kind of is pretty unique. And um, uh, you know, I don't want to like 
blow all the discussion points or anything, but like, you know, I just the fact that it's like set in rural Japan and, and yeah. has a lot of like shrines and, and old castles and the, the bad guy looks like a Buddha and stuff like <laughs> it just like yeah. makes it u- very unique feeling, yeah, yeah. Um, and very appealing to someone like me that likes that yeah. stuff aesthetically. Yeah. I think uh, Cleo and I are fans of the brief pockets of the modern series when we get a Japan-specific adventure for a one-off episode, a villain mm-hmm. of the week kind of thing. So I think to have a whole movie set in Japan mm-hmm. and to re- like really dedicated to capturing the experience of, of life, and I think at the time the movie was made, is probably also a turning point of, of Japan becoming much more uh, urbanized and global, but trying to cater to their past traditions and that kind of thing. I think it was really special uh, to kind of witness that because, you know, we don't necessarily need a part six set in Japan now. We have this movie as kind mm. of the representation of that era of Lupin. Yeah. yeah, I mean, part of the appeal of Lupin, um, I think especially uh, at the time it was made for for Japanese viewers, was the, like, uh, European, Western mm. influence. And that's why he works so well in um you know european countries and that's why it's very cool and you get to kind of explore the romantic ideas of italy and france mm. and, and wherever he goes next um and it's very cool to see like him break into buildings in a metropolis or something like that um but so it this kind of thing uh just feels very unique within the franchise itself like you don't yeah. get a lot of like eastern stuff uh but the strength of the characters and stuff it, it just it feels right at home with yeah. those Italian. Well, it felt like Lupin had returned home. Like it was kind of, I got the kind of nostalgic feelings. Like if I returned home after being away on a holiday for a long time, uh, Lupin felt really comfortable in that setting, even though it was like different terrain than we probably would normally see him in. And he's interacting with different objects. Yeah. Uh, on that I mean, topic as well, like we have the car chase, you know, yeah. we have like another car and, and that's actually but... because the um, supervisor for the movie was Yasuo Otsuka, who was the owner of the Fiat 500 that right. Miyazaki based yeah. the Fiat on in Cagliostro. Yeah. So I think he kind of doubled down on that. And I think this movie, like you said, Joey, there's, it bites off a lot of Cagliostro. Like the ending is basically the ending of Cagliostro but in Japan (laughs) you know Fujiko's riding off with the prize you know Lupin's Mm -hmm. trying to get a bit of it on the road um like a girl gets let down (laughs) (laughs) it's very much mirrors the end of Cagliostro but um even going back to the car chase I really liked like one of the details that I really liked about the car chase in this movie is that rather than seeing that little car going through you know the Italian Riviera and those sloping hills and things, we see how the dimensions of that would do indoors, how it would do yeah. tiny yeah, roads. With the tight Japanese Japan. space. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. <laughs> the verticality and, of the buildings and the hot springs and stuff. Yeah, it, it requires so much effort to kind of imagine the physics of how that would work and the movement of everything and how everything around it would react. Like that, that was, that was something that really stood out to me. There's a part where they knock over one of the hot spring little huts and it lands on top of a car and that car continues on its own little adventure of being trapped in the hut and Uh, like it falls over and stuff like little stuff like that. (laughs) Just made that whole scene really fun. (laughs) I was laughing so hard at that, that part with the the springs and the people bathing, like (laughs) naked lady yells, throwing things. (laughs) Uh, throwing the, the buckets car. at them and stuff. And they it was drive like into such the a, like... section they're all flying up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because, I don't know, if you watch a lot of anime, you get used to sort of like dumb jokes about people peeping on 
uh, on uh, people oh, bathing in these special. springs. But this is like an entire car just busting <laughs> in. <Yeah. laughs> like, what the hell, man? Like, it's not like, oh, you, you, you know, like you're, you're looking at my boobs. It's like, yeah. oh, what the hell? Like, get lost, you know? Yeah, this isn't exactly them like trying to sneak a peek. They're like driving a car away from uh, being pursued. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I this is, you know, a huge call. I think this this really does challenge the car chase in Cagliostro. Like, mm. I think the fact that it does so many different things, and we get kind of two versions of the car chase, really, mm-hmm. really puts it up there. And I like that this car chase has Zenigata at the core. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, true. Like, that to me fits really well with the essence of Lupin. And I think they really took some ideas from Cagliostro and put their own spin on it. Um, which, which did really well. Uh, speaking of Zenigata, how do you guys feel about bald Zenigata? <laughs> ah. well, we, we were saying a little bit before you got here, um, we really like the opening of kind of Zeni. He's completely changed his life because he believes Lupin dead. He's kind of freed from that demon of chasing him. Um, but we had to ask, the, the opening, we see a whole bunch of kids running around uh, and Zeni's kind of interacting with them. Is there any chance there is actually Zenny's kids? Oh. Or do you think they're just village? We were just like, what if like he's actually settled down and this is like a rare glimpse of what he would be doing if he hadn't returned to Lupin? <laughs> and there's a little nice little detail there where Zenny, he's like, I don't know, is it a bell, Ben? What is he banging on as it's he's doing fro- the It's a wooden prayers? frog. He's doing a um, prayer. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he partially hits the boy in the head with the sort of, you know, mallet that he has. Yeah. And it's like a very quick animation there, but it shows that level of familiarity. And I do wonder, Ben, I think you're on the money. I think it's just the writers going, yep, he has his family here in the mountains, and then he just moves on. Not 100% convinced, but the credits do give a lot of attention to those kids, so you have to speculate. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I got the impression he shaves his head and he's dressed in the robes and stuff that he's kind of just devoted himself to the monk life. It could be, instead. yeah. Um, and so, and I think that's another thing that kind of calls to the Eastern theming uh, and the sort of like semi-spiritual theming throughout the movie is that uh, Zenigata has sort of become a monk. Yes. <laughs> yeah. and, um, or a priest or something. Um, and even though he leaves that behind to pursue uh, Lupin, he's still got the shaved head, and so it still yes. kind of gives you that feel. I, I like the look, and I like the justification for the look. I think that was refreshing. I, mm-hmm. I actually think it's a really interesting piece of symbolism. Like, he, even when he is chasing Lupin, it is almost like he is a monk for this, you know? He is, yeah. he, his this celibacy is, his is that he does not, he does not partake in normal human life and normal human pleasures because he is solely devoted to the cause of catching Lupin and the gang. Totally. Yeah. No, that's, he's devoted his life uh, to, to this calling. <laughs> to, to his love for his boy. And it is love. I mean, that, that animation, like the look on his face is just the most pure unbridled joy. Like, you know, you, like your wife has just birthed you your firstborn. You know, that is the look of joy and relief on his face when he sees that his, his, his boy Lupin is alive. Man, I love, you're so used to the series, them doing very, like, kind of being quick and loose with, like, uh, masks and things like that, that the guys, in order to hide from Zenigata driving by them, they're just kind of, like, ducking their heads yeah. down. <laughs> 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 
And Lupin's like driving with his knees. <laughs> yeah, so good. I love that moment. That's like instant gif-worthy sort of moment in the movie. Um, what did you think of the um, overall plot of the movie, Joey? Mm, I, I, a thing I love about it is that it starts with Goemon getting married. and yeah, That was a uh, shock to me. Like I, I was conscious of what I was watching, but I kept having to double take and be like, wait, Goemon's getting married? Wait, yeah, yeah. Happened? And the fact and that I it was that genuine, that... it wasn't like a plot to get something. Like, Goemon was just legit getting married, and the plot was happening around them. It wasn't like Lupin's marriage to Rebecca, where it was all like, oh, he's doing this for something else. Goemon was like, yeah, hey, guys, I just had this girlfriend up in the mountains, and I guess it's time. <laughs> I met this girl. We have nothing in common, but she loves me, so we're getting married. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I recall being very suspicious of her and her family uh, the first time I watched this, kind of being like, how did they tie into the plot? Was she just, you know, I, you know, is this somehow... Has conspiracy in the title. Yeah, so a conspiracy, a and we'll find out that she was doing something to manipulate uh, yeah. Goemon. But it ends up being very sweet, which yeah, I, just, just I nice appreciate. Show. But like, as um, I think Ben, you were saying, like it feels like Lupin like coming home. Mm. Like I think that marriage um, or uh, wedding ceremony uh, has that quality to it, where yeah. it's like a family gathering. Yeah, you know? and so and that's why you you get that feeling, and that's the thing that I really love about this. You really like uh, get uh, them as family members and and feel that like close-knit yeah even the uh, way they dress in their disguises like lupin with glasses it's like he's taking this a bit more seriously than he would a, a different situation totally totally and yeah it, sometimes you get movies where they're acting uh somewhat more independently of one another trying to mm. especially fujiko and, and lupin are trying to like outsmart each other and yes. sometimes going on is kind of outside that group but this time <laughs> oh, it feels like they're really working together <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 i like the moments where they get to uh share some screen time there's a moment in um uh the blood blood spray of uh goemon um that they're kind of all sitting watching him train and they're all kind of just bonding in just this moment of you know solidarity solidarity with um goemon and i really like those little intimate moments between the cast mm-hmm. and i like how yeah they're just genuinely here to celebrate Goemon's wedding. There is no plot in in that sense. They're just there. Yeah. But then as soon as shit goes down, they all kind Seems of like, treasure. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like Fujiko goes off on her own. Like even th- like I think Jigen or Lupin are like, hey Fujiko, follow us. But she just goes off and does her own thing because she's like, nah, I'm in control. I'm gonna do my own thing and figure this out. Lupin and Jigen are already like, okay, how do we make a buck? You know? Um <laughs> I-, I like how the intention at at the start is quite normal, but then they immediately fall into who these characters are. Yeah. Um, I want to point out a thing uh, as mm. my, to, to <laughs> flex my Japanese uh, movie nerd uh, cred here. Uh, there's a part. So he gets this, uh, they get this pot, uh, this vase that has uh, that at one point, Lupin says, like, I think this is might be worth a million yen or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then when they heat it up, they find out that there's a map on it. Um, I think this may be a reference to a movie called Tange Sazen and the Million Ryo Pot. Uh, Ryo is like an old oh. uh, form of currency yeah. in Japan. Uh, and it's a really cool movie from 1935. Wow. Um, 
that is about a pot that looks like very inconspicuous and just gets sold uh, to like a uh, pawn shop or something, but it actually has a secret map in it to a treasure. Mm. And, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's circled. It's about that. And it's this very cool, like um, Tange Sazen is a reoccurring film character in Japan. That's this one armed, one eyed uh, samurai fighter guy, not samurai, but swordsman fighter guy. And uh, this is just one episode in that, but it's a very classic one. Yeah. And uh, when, as soon as uh, Lupin was like throwing the pot around and saying, I bet this is worth a million yen, like it, a little like ding went off in <laughs> yeah. my uh, head. So I wanted to point that out as That's a cool, cool story device. It's, it's such a specific number as well. And Jigen, I think, mentions it at the end of the film, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is definitely worth then more than a million yen, like, or Rio, <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right there. Um, what did you think of the villains in this movie? Because it's very much like, it's not just a mystery. There is definitely like a specific villainous foe and enemy gang um, for them to grapple with. Yeah, I, I think, I thought it was very cool. Like, I think the 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 Buddha as gang boss uh, <laughs> thing is very cool. Like, I yeah. thought that that guy looked awesome and I loved how he was a, such a big imposing figure over everyone and then at the end he just walked over from Yu Yu Hakusho really like he just walked (laughs) over from the set of Yu Yu Hakusho from the dark tournament and was like hey guys I guess I'm here to steal some treasure yeah especially once he takes his jacket off and he's got the sort of like mesh shirt and looks more like a ninja or whatever and and his fight with Goemon is so so cool yeah Uh, speaking of like cool animation um that that fight is really excellent and I like the um the ninjas, they feel kind of like an upgrade uh, to the weird, like, uh, European ninjas in Castle of Canada, Yes, I was right? thinking that with the <laughs> long pointy <laughs> fingers, yeah. yeah. yeah I like they, how they... these guys just have jetpacks. Yeah. It's like, oh, cool. How <laughs> are they going to get away? Are they just going to, like, you know, jump off or climb up the trees? No, they just fuck off with a bunch of jetpacks. <laughs> that was the moment I was really bought into the movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, this seems fun. And then, whoosh, I'm like, okay, I'm in. I've got to see where this goes now. <laughs> Totally. But yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I th- thought that it was cool. I, I, I like um, how they sort of, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, I always like a gang plot where you've got sort of like mm. uh, a big boss and then some little cronies. The, the, the guy that was working with Zenigata for like a brief moment seemed pretty obviously, a lot of times there will be this character who you're like, wait, who are they? This person <laughs> isn't one of our like core five or yeah. six, you know, like who is this guy? And of course he ends up being a bad guy. Um, Have you found Joey, like, I don't know if it's in Japanese film as well, but in anime, I find those types of characters often have mice or rat like features. Like, mm. you know, like they're the rat in the, in the story. Do do you know that you see that trope in, in live action movies as well? Oftentimes they'll be named like Nezu or Nezumi, oh, really? uh, which means okay. rat. Um, yeah, so that's a that's a, I think that's a pretty uh, common like insult for like a sneaky person that you don't like in, in Japanese, just as it is in English, is yeah. calling them a rat. Um, and so I think that that embodies a certain type of person for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot easier to make them look that way in animation. In animation, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. But uh, mm. yeah, it was definitely something I noticed as well. Um, but yeah, I like how they actually are quite competent 
enemies. Yeah. Like sometimes in Lupin, the, the gang are just so like like over so overpowered. It's it's just about their interactions really that move the story along. But in this, you know, there's that scene where they're at the um the train museum or whatever, um, and they sort of immediately get into police you know, costume where as soon as oh, Zinigata yeah, yeah. shows up, which was really, really clever. Like they're kind of like really on the ball in this movie. And they even trick Goemon when they're in the sort of, you know, cave temple system. Um, so I thought that was a really refreshing change. It really sort of grounded the gang for a little bit. And Goemon mm-hmm. wasn't his sort of overpowered self. Like he was kind of just a normal samurai in this movie. Yeah, a lot of times going on is like a deus ex machina, right? He he kind of shows up for a moment, does hey, something awesome, and, and then kind of... this thing in half, and then he's gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I'm always happy to see him have a little bit more humanity in his character and, and struggle a bit, you know? Mm. Deus ex machina, more like deus ex katana. come on come on that was good man far out i was thinking that the whole time this is gonna be fantastic i might cut that out of the podcast god's god's katana man that shit has some meaning right there i have no idea what that means jigen but it sounds important to him but yeah i mean what did we think of lupin in this movie Actually, I'm really curious to hear what yeah both of you think because Lupin's very much almost like guest starring to a certain mm. extent. Mm. Um, well, I, I think for me, Lupin is my favorite character. Um, I really enjoy when he's the focus of the media. Mm. Um, so for him to take a bit of a backseat means I probably didn't... En- I really loved Fuma Conspiracy, but it's probably not going to stick right up there as one of my favorites for that reason. Mm. Um, I was watching uh, with English dubs because I watched it with my wife um, and she couldn't be bothered to read the subtitles. Um, And uh, the English voice for Lupin is someone trying to, like all the English cast are no name people. Like I've looked them up and they haven't done anything except this movie. Um, And the English voice um, tried to copy the English guy that does the classic older stuff and the the modern stuff. Um, But uh, he was kind of a bit chilled out and not as silly or as goofy as the other English voice. So I actually really liked Lupin in this. I felt like he, and in this version, was taking a bit more of a level-headed approach to yeah. situations and then would chime in with a funny one-liner when he needed to. Um, so I, I liked it. I thought he was a bit more mature than maybe other uh, yeah. incarnations of Lupin. I, I felt like he was very much like the wingman in this yeah. movie. In, in the best possible way, yeah. you know? He was there as a buddy. He was there to kind of, be, you know, sort of help out when Goemon was really out of his depth. I really love that moment where he steals the vase and he sort of throws it to Goemon. He's like, come on, like, we can do this shit, like, with <laughs> you know? And he kind of is like, look, here's the vase. Let's take it and let's get your wife back. Like, yeah. there is very much like that strong sense of camaraderie and, you know, watching each other's back that you don't really see the characters verbalize. Like as much as you know that Lupin cares about Jigen and Goemon, they don't, they never really talk about it Mm. in the show or in the movies. But I felt like in this, you could really see how strongly they are linked together. Yeah. I mean, that's something going back to what we were talking about, uh, the strength of there being so much uh, Lupin media is that if Mm. you can have one where he's less of a focus and you're not just like, oh man, this is my one Lupin thing and he's not even in it, you know, like uh, that's the thing that I appreciate about there being so much 
uh, is that we can have one that focuses on the other characters and, but we still have plenty that focus on Lupin himself. Um, which uh, version did you see, Cleon? Did you watch it dubbed or in Japanese? I watched it in Japanese with English subtitles. And um, yeah, like it's, it's, it, it took me out of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I had to watch the movie twice because I think the first time I'm just like, whoa, what's happening? I'm so used to the types of voices on this show. I'm so used to the music on the show. Um, yeah. I think b- by the end, I kind of got used to it, but it's definitely, I felt like it was almost like a more immature, younger sort of voice for Lupin. Yeah, so for um, for folks who don't <clears throat> know, this one's kind of famous for having an d- entirely different uh, voice cast in Japanese, uh, which I think was just a budget uh, yeah, Claire was telling me they spent all the budget on animation and then realized they couldn't afford the original cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oops. Um, <laughs> yeah, which I think uh, like kind of forged a rift between Monkey Punch and uh, the voice actor for Lupin, which is sad. Yeah. Oh, um, but the Lupin in this one is voiced by uh, Toshio Furukawa, who is the voice of Piccolo and Dragon Ball and mm. Ace in One Piece and a lot of characters. Um, but what I think he was really channeling uh, uh, skill set wise uh, is going back to Kitaro. He's the voice of Nezumi, uh, Nezumi Otoko, the rat man oh. um, in, in the newer season. And uh, I think I could hear a lot of that sort of same kind of delivery um, in this, where he's playing a sort of sneakier character who's a little uh, more rat like, <laughs> yeah. you know, a little yeah. more sneaky, a little uh, less like, tough guy like you would get with piccolo or something like that and i thought he did a pretty good job like i think everybody i'd say all of the japanese voices in this one are fine like it's just kind of like that's fine that's not the people i love uh and they're all doing a fine job i thought zenigata was pretty good um and i thought uh lupin's voice was pretty good um but everyone else was just kind of like getting the job done yeah, um, and- Jigen's really took me out of it. Like every time What's Jigen like? spoke, it it just kind of twigged my ear a little bit. Because in English, he's a really like dry, rusty old man. Like speaking to was very off putting. And Fujikur is a real like '90s era bimbo character in English. And that uh, I really didn't like that take on uh, Fujikur because she just seemed like really dumb and obsessed with the gold, and that was her sole oh, focus. Yeah, because she's so she's actually pretty, like especially cool in this movie. Oh, I feel okay, like. yeah. I have to yeah. watch it again. Um, in I Japanese think if, when I if get you, the I mean, I could see that uh, interpretation taking you out of it, but I think if you kind of follow her actions in this version, she is pretty like obsessed with gold. Yeah, yeah. Um, like scooping up the tiles and all <laughs> yes. that. Yes, stuff. that was fantastic. Um, well, my my uh, wife was like, "That's not what Fujiko would do. She would insert them into her clothes and her cleavage and use the gold tiles as armor." <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think the scene that like really stands out is the one where she's tied up and has the pot on her head. Yes. <laughs> and uh, just breaks it and, and breaks herself free, uh, kicking that other guy's butt and stuff. And I, I think that is one like really good example of how in this movie she is um, cool and very present. Uh, she's yes. another one like Goemon who will often disappear and then just kind of show back up to get the upper hand at the end. Yeah, especially in that year stuff. as well. Yeah. And I like her being around and being part of the gang. Yeah. yeah. My, my favorite part, like actually a Fujiko overall is how she weaves in and out of being with the gang's 
motives. Like she's mm-hmm. always off on her own thing and it will sometimes kind of intercept with what the gang's doing. But at the end of the day, Fujiko is doing it for Fujiko. You know, she's yeah. doing it <laughs> um, And that, that was done really clear. I felt like everyone apart from Goemon was a very like classic version of themselves. Mm. Like mm. we get a really brilliant classic Zenigata in this movie. And yeah. I thought he, he, to me, he he was probably one of the MVPs. I think that stood out to me, not only from like, you know, that delightful expression that we get from the start, but there's countless moments where, you know, Zenigata kind of has to make a choice. Like, all right, do I chase Lupin or do I like rethink this a little bit? And yeah, I, I really enjoyed um, his role in the film. Goemon's interesting because I feel like um, the first time I really took note of this, I, I'm not, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have a better catalog of what came when, but like was in um, the Fujiko Mine series, they really played up this idea of him as a sort of like, blushing bashful boy yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of alliteration yeah. there uh <laughs> yeah. you know and to kind of put him in romantic situations but to make him very sweet and innocent yeah. and um i feel like this kind of plays on that characteristic too even though this was way earlier than that it gives him a little bit of a romantic storyline that's very cute yeah um and <laughs> it's a thing that i i, I liked uh, i thought yeah. that was fun isn't it um, odd that in a Lupine movie, the only flashback we have is from a shoujo anime? Like, it's just, <laughs> where it's just like, what am I, what am I watching here? Like, I just like, I just didn't get what uh, Murasaki like saw him just going on and on and on about their dream life, and he's just like, "Yep, mm. I'm a samurai." Yep. <laughs> it's a very it's like love. I'm missing all the the scenes that connected what happened before this movie to um, this moment of them getting married. Uh, and then did- to just stand her up at the end of the film as well um, was quite amusing. Yeah, that's a very Japanese, like, she's attracted to his stoicism. Yeah, you know? yeah. And unfortunately, in a lot of uh, traditional Japanese uh, stuff, uh, the women just kind of get left behind to wait for the man to, like, finish up his business. Well, she's not going to wait. She's not going to wait for him. Yeah, that I loved. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah, that, good humor, She's she's saying that uh, I I kind of interpreted that as her sort of being like I'm not going to wait, so you know finish up your yeah, training as soon out. as possible yeah. <laughs> uh, because I'm actually still waiting. But yeah. uh, hopefully she's not. Uh, hopefully yeah. she's found a nice uh, nice boy. <laughs> yeah, like there's this like this interlude where Goemon's like, all right. I'm done with Lupin. I've come to settle down. And she's like, oh, wait, I got married. She's got like, a, got like another samurai that's like identical looking. <laughs> <laughs> that I would love because I do love that sort of like the flustered uh, um, romantic going on. So it would be kind of uh, sweet to have him return to her and find out that she has a whole uh, family uh, and <laughs> has moved on. And we get a little bit of a uh, t- tugging at your heartstrings uh, story arc with that. Uh, that'd be that'd fun. Be fun. Um, now, Joey, can you settle something for Cleon and mm-hmm. I? Cleon was not a fan of the music, uh, moving on from the classic Lupin jazz to, I'm not 100% sure I know what the genre of this music is in this film. I loved it. I think the soundtrack to this film has some absolute bangers. The theme song is one of the most incredible pieces of music I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, 
had this show in in America. It's called Soup Opera. I think it's like a French thing, and we got it because the weird part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a bunch of fruit that they cut up and stuff motion animate, and the fruit will like form like an animal, and the animal will fly around. But the soundtrack is just like a whole bunch of like guys on a like a 90s synth going like bom 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 and there's a part in the theme song that cuts to that segment i'm gonna play it multiple times throughout when i edit this podcast Ben, stop talking about your one acid trip. Like, it's a real Australian kid show, real gruff one. But um, this yeah, I really like the theme song. How, what do you think of the music? Can you do you accept uh, this wacky '90s take on the soundtrack, or um, does it? Uh, uh, yeah, no, I loved it. Okay, oh God yes. damn it! <laughs> this this is the kind of thing that like is uh, again uh i i keep saying the same thing over and over again this is the kind of beauty with there being so much loop on media is that we can have one with a crazy like uh synthy city pop soundtrack i love like, city pop yeah 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 man uh, i like i don't know i feel like um i love the jazzy uh, instrumental uh traditional loop on music and i wouldn't want this movie soundtrack to be the only music yes. we ever got <laughs> That's um, but like yeah I think like I and a lot of folks are going through a kind of big uh, city pop uh, wave in, in my Reach music it. listening uh, over the past year or two and uh, it's just like really uh, it, it taps into that it is It's a, yeah. I mean it literally is an 80s uh, Japanese <laughs> you know synthy score so like um, I yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I, I'm totally into it. Sorry, nice. man. <laughs> I just I just shuddered um, in fright thinking about part four Lupin. You know, going through the the hills and valleys of Tuscany with the opening. <laughs> <laughs> a banger next time we're in a car together cleon six uh, weeks from now i'm gonna play that music in a car trip. <laughs> but, um, i mean it's th- almost best that it is also the one that has a replacement cast as well so yeah, it yeah, almost like true. takes place in a fan and it's the one that is more japan centric than uh europe centric yeah. and mm. so it, all in all it, it like really does stand on its own yeah. as it nearly becomes like, a theme of its of own but it's slightly offbeat yeah 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 totally um, there, there was one scene I thought the music didn't fit very well in, um, which may lead to a discussion of its own, but um, the scene where uh, Goemon uh, is exposed to the, the gas and then starts seeing all the, the mummies, it plays this soundtrack that I think would make sense if it was like a JRPG or something, but the uh-huh. fact that it's a movie, it's lacking all the tension that that scene needs, and uh, it's kind of like, I would put that music if, if like the characters are in like a crystal palace or something, but he's like <laughs> fighting everyone, and you don't quite feel the tension it needs. Um, but in that scene, I want to ask, do you think it's possible this movie inspired parts of Batman Begins? Ooh. Uh, hmm. In what way? Well, it's I been thought a while like, since I've seen Batman Begins. So at the start, we have Bruce Wayne going to the monk temple to train for the ninja stuff. Um, uh, for you know to become Batman, and here we have you know uh, uh, 
uh, Zenigata kind of doing the monk thing. We have a, a ninja conspiracy of ninjas mm -hmm. that have integrated into normal society and blended in over the decades and still carrying out, you know, their same wills from all the past. And we also have the scene where someone gets gassed in a kind of Japanese looking room fighting samurai visions, which mm. happens to Batman in his training. I just have to wonder if someone saw a Fuma conspiracy back then and slipped some of that into the thinking of Nolan's work. I mean, I think... Nolan likes anime. We know that. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Um, yeah, didn't... Um, am I thinking of a different director that... Um... I know Elon Musk likes it. Uh, who did... Um... Uh, so this is this is where my specialty isn't because I filled my head with uh, so many movies. Japanese film. Uh, he did the one about dreams, right? Where people are jumping. Yes, I think it's called Dream to Dream. Yeah. Okay, so that has like I think that's the one that has scenes uh, directly copied from Perfect Blue. Really? Uh, or maybe that's a different one of his films. But that movie is. But the uh, Inception, yeah, yeah, is is pretty strongly inspired by paprika which is another satoshi kon so he's oh, either just a satoshi kon yeah. uh fan or an anime fan in general so it's yeah. possible mm. there is a lot of it where yeah from this movie you're like oh i can see you know lots of even links to stuff like mortal Kombat and things like that you know the ninjas being an anachronistic setting um linked to all those dark legends and dark conspiracies and and things like that as well. I thought it had a lot of um, story beats with like an Atlantis style mm. uh, mystery movie or uh, like an Indiana Jones kind of adventure. But this yeah. is the Japanese version of that. Like yeah. the Japanese road to El Dorado, the Japanese Atlantis. Yeah. I, I think I think like the El Dorado analogy fits so well, Ben, like the hidden, you yeah, know, it was also hanging gardens of Babylon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And that kind of fits into why... You know, this movie really does feel like a reference to Cagliostro. The fact mm. that the treasure itself is a place, you know, yes. something that you can't essentially steal. And I guess the difference between this and Cagliostro is that characters do try and steal what's in this and oh, yeah. they don't get anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's, I don't know whether it's like an intentional message or what it is. Like, well, oh, that's the classic it's... outcome of the Atlantis uh, City yeah. of Gold story is, you know, you can't ever really truly have the treasure. Mm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's so funny, actually, watching this. I was really stoked because I've been to these mountains. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So I went to Japan roughly about four or five years ago, and I spent a whole week in the Hida region, which mm. is where this um, movie takes place. And I think they chose the Hida region because it's kind of Japan's sort of the more mountainous area. And mm -hmm. which is why trains feature so much because the only way you can go from place to place oh. are through these really weird mm. rural trains. And yeah, if you ever go to Japan, highly recommend going to the Hida region because taking these rural trains is a experience in and of itself. But it actually feels like, oh, I can imagine a hidden clan of ninjas hiding in this mountain because mm -hmm. like, it's somewhere where you wouldn't necessarily... Yeah, it becomes timeless. Not... Like this yeah. movie could exist in any era. Apart exactly. from the 80s synth music. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think that's why I, I really connected to this movie. Like, it sort of connected back to my experiences of Japan and, and things like that as well. Like, I recognize what the trains look like. I recognize what the mountains look like. And it sort of really spoke to me from, from that point of view. Like, you know, I can imagine, say, a European fan who knows a lot about the rolling hills in Tuscany looking at Cagliostro and going, oh, this is really speaking to me. Mm -hmm. 
And for me, like it was really cool just randomly going to that region because I wanted to um, eat beef and drink sake. I knew it would be food related. I knew you had yeah, found a was. specific <laughs> style of food you wanted to eat and you went Peter all the way to the mountains. has the best beef in Japan. Wow, well, okay. Um, and sake and the best sake in nice. Japan. Um, and then the other thing is that it's also known as a hot springs region. So ah. it was really cool to see the focus on the bathhouses and, and things like that as well. So, and I think I read as well that... Um, Yasuo Otsuka and the group who sort of worked on this movie, they visited the Hida prefecture to do research on it. So I think it did kind of come out really well translated. Um, and yeah, I think it's kind of like how Miyazaki had that, you know, what did you say, Ben? A dream of Paris? Yeah, or... there's a Japanese word I'm not going to be able to remember now, but uh, it, it's the Japanese romanticization of Europe, uh, of, yeah. of France, uh, yeah. of Italy, and that's yeah. what the series often throws to. Yeah, I think this is kind of the romanticization of the Japanese countryside, yes. much like, you know, My Neighbor Totoro and stuff sort of mm. focuses on that idea of leaving the metropolitan, the, the stresses of the metropolitan wolf children or summer wars, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think the the painting of the backgrounds was a real like standout star to me. Like yeah. maybe not so much towards the end of the film, but like very much at the start, you get all the autumn leaves. There's a lot mm. of color choices where, um, yeah, they've used really nice gradients or colors you don't expect. There's like a sunset in the water uh, when Zenigard has fallen in the, the river at one point and it's a lot more orangey than like, you know, bluish hues and stuff. I just thought that was really gorgeous. There's something about that, um, you know, 80s and 90s hand-drawn anime style that has a lot of texture to the coloring and you don't see that a lot anymore. It doesn't matter how simple the character designs are, like as long as the backgrounds are really nice, they really, they feel, I don't know, really alive, much more so than digital painting, I think can ever capture. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, that's the thing that I love about um, physical hand-drawn uh, animation and stuff is that digital uh, drawings, they, they are getting better and better at kind of imitating mm. different kinds of like watercolors or whatever, but it, it always looks smoother in yeah. a way that you can kind of pick it out. Um, and that roughness uh, has a lot of life to it. Mm. Just the mastercraft of it'll be one scene for a couple of frames, just you know, giving you a wide shot of what the location looks like. But that someone's hand painted all those strokes, mm-hmm. and you know, it's incredible. Like, you just can't imagine people bothering to do that uh, yeah. to the same extent these days, unless you're Miyazaki and you do it in under oh, yeah. four months, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's contractually obligated to yeah. continue making beautiful pieces of art till he's dead, mm-hmm. I think. On that topic, actually, um, so the supervisor, Yatsu Otsuka, said, like Joey mentioned, there is a bit of a dark origin to this movie. Oh. So, yeah, like like you'd mentioned before, they sort of ran out of a budget. TMS, which is the studios that produces Lupin, was running out of uh, money at the time. And so they didn't, because they spent so much money on animation, because Yasuo Otsuka, he was like, yep, I don't, even though this is an OVA, so this is technically not a movie. Oh, really? It's just an OVA? Yeah, which is why it's so short. It's not kind of full movie length. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he was like, nah, man, I want to go all out. I want the, I don't want mouth flaps. I want this to look like a prime movie. I want this to be Cagliostro level quality. And so they blew the budget on that. Um, but then what happened was they couldn't afford the cast. And so Oops. they hired 
Yeah, yeah. And um, Joey, you'd mentioned, you know, the actor that they hired. Apparently, he wasn't even allowed to disclose that he'd played Lupin in the movie. Really? From my reading of it. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually when the original voice cast find out, including um, Yasuo Yamada, he had gone to Monkey Punch and was like, hey, like, look what they've done you know with this voicing and with the work on this movie and monkey punch was like well that was your fault you should have just worked on the <laughs> anime um and and thus it started a bit of a rift between the yeah. two so monkey punch then wanted a campaign against tms but the people who had made these decisions at tms had already left wow. um mm. and so Monkey Punch was upset. He kind of like lost his faith in the anime for a little bit. But then the original voice cast came back to the anime for another movie. And so, you know, Monkey Punch was really upset at Yasuo Yamada. And apparently, and this is the real unfortunate thing, they never um, made up for their misunderstanding um, even when Yasuo Yamada died. And apparently Monkey Punch really regretted that. Oh, wow. Yeah, unfortunately, the amazing beautiful animation that we see in this movie kind of set this cascade of events which unfortunately led to monkey punch and you know this core voice of lupin who who gave so much of lupin's personality and character i feel definitely sort of yeah had them ending on bad terms which is quite unfortunate Mm. and i do wonder because i think this would have definitely been something that would have been talked about in the Japanese fan base back home. Mm -hmm. So I do wonder whether that's why Fuma, even though quality wise, I feel it's up there. It's not as well regarded or talked about as much as Cagliostro. Yeah. I feel like anytime this movie comes up, that's basically the first thing anybody says about it is it's like too bad. The voices aren't right. You know? (laughs) And um, it's just that kind of thing where, the, the way that sort of uh, culture gets simplified uh, to these kind of memes, um, it's just kind of like, that's the big thing everybody knows about this one. It's animated well, but the voices don't sound right. And, it, you know, it's too bad because it's a really fun movie mm, outside yeah. of that. Um, it almost makes me like wish that the current voice cast would like go do a redub or something like oh, that. Oh, a remix, mm. Joey, a remix. I mean, look, you and Ben will be upset because a remix in my mind would have Yuji Ono back for, to compose sound <laughs> well, no, and it would get rid track. of the city. I, no, no, totally you need the it, opening yeah. theme song. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a remix for this movie would be really, really interesting. And I do wonder whether it would kind of garner a new fan base mm. for it. I don't know if you know anything about how this happened, but if you have the the Western DVD, um, at least if you if you find a way to download that, um, there's an extra audio track that's uh, fan commentary from one of the biggest uh, Lupin fan websites. I don't think it exists anymore. I think mm-hmm. it was like Lupin.net, like it was a very simple name. Um, but it's that that uh, fan commentary is still trapped now forever on any kind of uh, file that's passed around of this movie. Um, I'm yet to listen to it, but um, I don't know. That's just a very interesting relic uh, of that era. We, we don't get the original cast, but we do get some, you know, professional Lupin weeb who's now eternally uh, <laughs> trapped in this DVD. Yeah, I haven't heard that. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. It is, yeah, this DVD is unfortunately, uh, the movie is out of print uh, in English and... Uh, there's so much now available. It's kind of surprising. There must be some sort of weird rights thing with this one uh, because it is so well regarded. Mm. Um, it's probably that and, theme song. They can't get the rights. Unavailable. 
Yeah, maybe it, it. You know, a lot of times it is the music. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. Us um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think that um, kind of along those lines that I find interesting about this is the fact that it is drawing so much from Cagliostro, and and they really wanted to like play off of that. Obviously, um, since Cagliostro is kind of famously wasn't a big hit when it first came out in Japan, um, that you can kind of track that over that ten years, uh, it did you know, gain some sort of notoriety uh, within the Japanese fan base. It's not just in the American world because, or the English speaking world. It's like, um, you know, because at some point they were like, yeah, let's, let's try to match Kelly Oster. Let's give him the green jacket back and let's do the car chase and everything. So I'd be very curious to kind of hear the, the sort of history of that where like mm-hmm. Japanese fans came around back to Cagliostro and were like, actually, this movie is really cool. Mm. Maybe perhaps when Miyazaki was getting more and more independent work with his, his uh, studio and everything, uh, mm. maybe that's when it captured people's attention. I'm, I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah. And I know, and we know that like, especially for Lupin, so much of how it's received, you know, worldwide is the impact that it had in Italy for some reason. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we're learning more and more about the global fan base and when Lupin popped up and then how that grew independently of other fan bases. Yeah, and I feel like, yeah, a lot of the niche fan base in the West are reactions to things that have happened in Italy and in Europe um, as well. So it is interesting. Like, I I even sometimes struggle to think, like, yeah, what is Ghibli like in Japan? Because I know in Japan they love their Disney and of course, we love Ghibli movies, but how how is it received in its own home country? I'm, I'm not too sure if I have what a clear idea. Their film releases are constantly breaking uh, box office records there, so okay. I think they're 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 major major films yeah. for sure. And yeah. merchandise is very popular over there, and the mm-hmm. uh, Ghibli Museum is growing more and more into a theme park. Yeah. Um, so it probably is Disney is probably the best comparison. Mm-hmm. Actually, if uh, to to wrap it up a little bit, um, to think about merchandise, what's one piece of Lupin merchandise that you would like to own? Like something either from the show or something that you can create yourself. Oh man, I mean, I'd love to have a cell. Um, uh, oh, I've been thinking yeah. about. Uh, I just listened to an episode of the Anime Nostalgia podcast where they talk about cell collecting, and uh, I only own one anime cell. It's from Doctor Slump. Oh, cool. um, nice. and I'm not a huge like collector just because uh, I don't have a lot of money to spend <laughs> but um, if I could have like one piece of anything from the world of Lupin it would be an animated like a cell or a really great one of of man I mean if we're talking like <laughs> uh, you know uh, sky's the limit fantasy you know I'd like to have all or most of the the crew uh, of the uh, cast, you know, on that cell, like hanging mm-hmm. out together or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, that that's just an exciting idea to sort of own a piece of the movie or TV show that you like. Uh, you you saying that, Joey, now I want something that I'll never be able to own in my You've life. You've set on a new obsession. Yeah, which is a <laughs> cell. single. Of... <laughs> yeah, so I already have an obsession with... Um, <laughs> you know, single malt whiskey. <laughs> I have oh, a okay. <laughs> with very specific Chinese teas. Now let's just add cells into the mix. But um, yeah, now, now you've just got cider. me thinking of, <laughs> yeah, it's my new <laughs> there it is. Saga. 
<laughs> episode title. Um, no, but I could imagine like, oh, I would love to own a framed copy of the scene where um, Jigen is fixing the Fiat in Cagliostro. Oh, and look at Resting on top. That to me, that like is the epitome of what Lupin looks to me. Like when I think of Lupin, that's like the image that comes yeah. up in my head. And oh, that, that would be amazing. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one to get for sure. Yeah. Oh. I wonder if that's even still around. That's the big tragedy with cells is a lot of times uh, studios would just throw them away. Well deserved, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so where could, uh, sorry, Ben, you had to. Oh, I, I, my wrap up question that I wanted to ask um, Joey is uh, where would you like to see uh, part six go? Oh, like where in the world? Yeah, well, what what would be your pitch for a, a, a part six? Assuming it's going to continue, which, you know, we all hope it will, and there's no reason to disbelieve so far. Hmm. Well, hmm. I, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want a series that's completely set in the past, but I wouldn't mind a series that kind of has a lot of flashbacks. Yeah, okay. Uh, because I love that era of uh japanese stuff the 60s and 70s like i said and so i wouldn't mind a like series that really plays with maybe a storyline entirely set in the 60s or something like that Mm. but then maybe it relates to something that's happening currently and and he's gonna be like a treasure or or something they didn't solve in the past that they have to Mm -hmm. reapproach in the future i like that yeah, and Guys, but then it would be substantial, not just like <laughs> a flashback in an episode or something, but maybe uh, 75% of the series is like a set in this flashback or something. Yeah, like okay. Yeah, Interesting. I think that would be cool. I like it. I, like, I, I really like that idea. It kind of draws a little bit from the Fujiko show, you know, where these mm-hmm. characters were mm. in the past and how they were all connected. Um, yeah, that's that's really. I'd like to see that fashion revisited because that that's a subtle, really standout part of Fujiko yeah. Mine is the wild seventies, sixties outfits. You get Make the pop collar, kinetic loop on design cannon, <laughs> the, yes. the white disco jacket. Era. Yes, yes, please, I want that now. Oh my gosh! Oh. Oh man! Now, now I just want fan art of Lupin from the anime drawn in his psychokinetic costume. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> With a scarf, his little... Uh, oh, yes, a little yes. escort. <laughs> oh, the escort. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Oh, oh, Joey, see, you're just saying things that I know I can't get now, but I desperately want. You're torturing this poor man. Yeah. All right, Joey, so where can our listeners find you? Sure, they can follow me on Twitter at Joey Weiser or Instagram, Joey Weiser Comics. Um, they can check out my graphic novels. There's the five book Merman graphic novel series or the single uh, Ghost Hog graphic novel. And next year I'll have a follow-up to Ghost Hog called Dragon Racer. That should mm. be out in the summer. I did uh, as see long the as, advertisement uh, The world's not too badly in tatters at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, and uh, yeah, and read, uh, I've been serializing some uh, comics called Dino Town uh, on Ooh. Twitter and Instagram under Dino Town Comic. Uh, that's just kind of about a town of dinosaur people living together and having a kind of peaceful life. So it's a very like chill if you want to kind of chill out and and take your mind off of uh, stress and stuff like that. Oh, that's, that's lovely. To check out. Um, yeah, and um, and oh, and listen to Toho Yaro. Uh, yes. That's Toho as in the film studio and Yaro, it's a Japanese word for guys or rascals. Um, <laughs> and that's 
us talking, uh, it was monthly. We've been doing weekly uh, lately, thanks to having some more free time on our hands. Oh, you got the um, Corona Chan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we've had a sort of slightly new format ever since episode 30-something or so. That's the Message from Space episode. And we've had a lot of guests uh, on lately. So I recommend maybe just kind of picking through uh, the recent uh, dozen or so episodes and seeing if there's a film that you're familiar with or you're curious about, but don't mind some spoilers and uh, give it a shot and uh, and follow Toho Yaro on Twitter as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming on the show, Joey. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I, uh, I've i been enjoying your podcast and it's always a pleasure to have a show that I've been listening to actually reach out and be like, hey, would you like to be on the show? So from now on, I'll I'll have the experience of uh listening to your show and being like i wish i could say this one thing Uh, (laughs) well you're you're welcome back anytime and actually as we go into the future we're actually going to be looking at i mean i don't know how time zones are going to line up but we're going to be looking into uh live streaming some of our recordings Uh, so if people have questions (laughs) they'll be able to uh, send them into us as we record Mm, that's cool yeah and and we know how much you like part four so potentially in the future when we do our part four coverage you know we can have you on for some episodes yeah, maybe. Yeah, welcome you back want to cover time. or something yeah that'll cool. be awesome yeah thank you so much yeah, and thank you um yeah and um i guess overall um fuck damn it damn it damn it you made it so <laughs> you far you planned a big closing and you forgot yeah. it <laughs> yeah i know i've just short-circuited now sorry so I don't, I don't, I'm normally not up this late. So this is like mm. a bit, bit, bit different. Yeah. I, I just want to say, I appreciate uh, you accommodating my schedule, uh, the time zone thing uh, to not make me record at three in the morning or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Nah, it's all good. It's again, it's a Friday night and like we're in lockdown. So like it's, yeah, <laughs> we're just at home. No responsibility. You're a blossoming honestly. artist. So you need your beauty sleep. We, we get that. I'm going to get those creative ideas flowing. <laughs> All right, man. I'll see you later, Joey. Thank you so much for coming. We'll, we'll message you when the um, episode's about to release and everything, but um, definitely, um, you know, just drop a message whenever and we'll, we would be so excited to have you on again. All right. Sounds good. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs> Golden lions come and go, but a good man's worth surpasses gold. Don't celebrate too soon, though, Jack, because just like Arnold, I'll be back. <laughs> Woohoo! See ya! <laughs> you bastard! Get back here! Damn it! Blue! I can't catch me! I'm gonna get you! Get back here!
Da 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 da